Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 649 with Brian A. Hearn. Brian is about to share how you can improve your influence by listening better and adapting better to different personality types. You'll learn, one, what every professional can learn from insurance agents, two, the five critical ingredients of listening stars, and three, how to deal with the four different types of people. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, I recommend you drop by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP649. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our cool resources. You can search the full text transcripts of every episode, find the perfect episode tagged by the topic or the competency that we cover, and sign up for the Gold Nugget email list, which give you summary insights from Brian, as well as access to the vault of every one of these guests and every one of those summaries, that's called the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Brian's story. Brian Ahern is the chief influence officer at Influence People, a dynamic international keynote speaker. He specializes in applying the science of influence in everyday situations. Brian is one of only 20 individuals in the world who currently holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. His specialization was earned directly from Robert B. Cialdini, PhD, the most cited living social psychologist on the science of ethical influence. Brian's book, Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade That Are Lasting and Ethical. It's an acronym. We dig those here. That's an Amazon bestseller. And his LinkedIn courses have been viewed by more than 75,000 people. So big thanks to Brian for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Brian. Brian, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you for having me back on. Third time's a charm, I think. It is. Well, that, you're in rare company there. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Maybe like three-ish times. Well, the listeners can't see this, but I, I am charmed by your background. You have a screen which has the How to Be Awesome at Your Job logo, Yep. cover art, and it says, Hello, Pete. And then you have a tasteful backdrop. I guess you got on Amazon, mm-hmm. which looks pretty realistic. What's the story here? So in the COVID lockdown world that we're in, I knew that I was going to need to do something to differentiate myself. And I saw a friend who's a big time national speaker, association speaker, and 
he had put a studio in his house and he was kind enough to spend about an hour with me one day to walk me through everything that he did. And we converted our daughter's old bedroom. And so I've got a beautiful backdrop and a 55 inch TV and I can give stand up presentations where I'm walking up to the camera and moving. It's, it's not just a face on zoom and, and clients have loved it. And potential clients are blown away when they see their logo and their name up on the screen on a zoom call. Well, yeah. And it's different. I don't know why, but it is. It's different than sharing your screen with an image of that with you like in the corner. It just is. And I don't know why or how it matters, but it does. <laughs> well, I think clients are going to see me from like the waist up moving yeah. back and forth and turning towards and and getting a sense of, hey, this is a little bit what life was like prior to the to the pandemic. I'm seeing yeah. this person really interact with us. Yeah, it does. It's more three-dimensional, literally, mm-hmm. but because it's behind you in the third dimension. So, Brian, not that I had any doubts, but uh, this just reinforces that this was the right choice to uh, to have you on uh, a third time. So, mm-hmm. so you've got a fresh book. It, it's, it's funny. I was a little slowed, as you may recall, to reply to your email because your book is called Persuasive Selling for Relationship-Driven Insurance Agents. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know what? Most of my listeners are not insurance agents, but nonetheless, I think you've really identified some universal skills and principles that benefit all professionals. And so we're going to zoom into to a couple of those. You got some good acronyms, kind of the STARS and the DEAL model we're going to talk mm-hmm. about. But first, maybe you could just tee it up broadly. What can and should non-sales professionals learn from insurance agents? Well, everybody's selling all the time. And so when people say, well, this book is for insurance agents, well, it's really for all salespeople because we look at the entire sales cycle and how the psychology of persuasion applies throughout each of the steps. But even somebody who might say, I'm not in a formal sales role, they're still selling themselves, their ideas and things, uh, if they're, especially if they're working in a large corporation. So understanding the deal model of how to interact with people is critically important for those folks. So I feel like anybody who knows that moving forward with getting a yes, selling themselves their ideas and things, they're all going to benefit from the book. Okay. Well, so you've got some great perspective on on listening and a helpful acronym STARS, which is funny because I think of STAR for interviews, situation, task, action, result. But you've got a different STARS associated with with listening. And and I think it makes a ton of sense. So can you lay it out for us when it comes to listening well, why should we do it and how should we do it? Well, when I worked in the corporate role and I was involved in sales training, a critical component of being a good salesperson is the ability to listen. And unfortunately, a lot of people haven't experienced this, but good salespeople only talk 25 to 30% of the time. They ask good questions and then they stop and they listen and then they ask more questions. But you have to be a good listener and you have to be confident in those skills. And while we are taught to read and write and speak, almost nobody goes through a class on how to be a more effective listener. So as I was interacting with our field sales team back in the day, I came up with this acronym to make it very easy for people to understand what it takes to be listening stars. And it's simply this, stop everything you're doing. That's the first letter, the S. Pay attention to tone of voice, T, because it conveys emotion. A is ask clarifying questions. R is restate your understanding of what you've heard. And then S is scribble, take notes. And Mm. I think if everybody could do those five things and just worked on doing those things better all the time, you would be blown away by how much more effective you could be as a listener. You'd become listening stars. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, so I love this in that it it makes a lot of sense. Those seem to be 
five critical ingredients and often overlooked ingredients. Help us out with with some of them in terms of it. It, it sounds easy to do, but most often people are not doing it. Maybe tell us how can we do each of these better? Like how can we stop excellently? What should we really look for in the tone, etc.? Okay. So when it comes to stop, you cannot give your attention to more than one thing at a time. You could try to fool yourself. You could say, well, I can finish this email while I'm listening, but you're never really giving your attention and therefore you're missing things. And we saw this when we would run little workshops and experiments. And we saw that people who gave their full attention to listening, they weren't distracted by a second task or taking too many notes. They were catching 75% more of the facts that were Mm. being shared as compared to other people. So if you think about that, if you are a salesperson or any position you're in, if you discipline yourself to stop so that you can fully pay attention and you're catching 75% more than your competitor, you have a huge advantage. So I think anybody who is listening to this podcast will catch themselves doing other things. And that's okay. That slap on the hand like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's your first step in awareness. And if you keep that up, eventually you'll find yourself stopping all those other things for longer and longer periods, which is going to certainly help you be more effective in terms of what you're receiving through your ears. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, I love it when you when you drop a, a clear number like that. Like, boy, I'm thinking about there's just so many opportunities, like 75% more facts. I mean, that's huge because... Someone might grab 10 facts, so then a listening star could grab 18 facts, and and those incremental eight facts could make all the difference in terms of, I'm thinking of like a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Like, huh, that thing I captured could surface a a win-win opportunity that would be... totally overlook, you know, had hmm. we not captured that on upfront. Or you say, hmm, that little piece could really help me deepen my relationship with this person down the road is like, oh, hey, I heard you like, I remember you liked fly fishing or whatever they like. And then you've got a, a cool opportunity to engage in subsequent conversations, build connection, camaraderie, etc. Wow. 75% more facts from a conversation is just like 75% more opportunity, possibility, right. impact. And I would say too, it's it's not just the positive facts that you catch. Sometimes it's the negative facts that might make you say, hmm, this isn't a deal I want to go through with. When I worked with an insurance company, a lot of the role of an underwriter is to get as many facts to make a determination. Do we want to write this account or do we not? And if we do write it at what price? Catching those things, even the negative things, impacts the decision-making on behalf of the company. So it was critically important on the positive and the negative, what are you going to catch or miss? Yeah, decision-making in terms of making those decisions optimally, and the facts are just the top of the funnel. So so that's yep. huge. And so, then, so for stopping, you notice that you're doing something else and then, and then bring it back. And, and this kind of sounds like hmm. any number of mindfulness practices and exercises, like with your breath or whatnot. How else can we get better at stopping? Make an intentional effort to do it. I mean, just to tell somebody like, hey, you know, hold me accountable here. If you're sitting in a meeting and and you tell somebody, you know, I'm really trying to work on my listening skills and I don't want to be distracted. You know, if you see me kind of going off or something like that, just give me a nudge. But that accountability is probably enough at that point just to get you to do something different versus if you never said anything to somebody else. So it really starts with the commitment. And what I want to say about this, Pete, every step in the STARS model It's a skill, but it's not a skill that people don't possess and cannot get better at. And I will give you an example. I'm five foot nine. I weigh 210 pounds. I was always into weightlifting and things, but I was never able to dunk a basketball. And if somebody came to me tomorrow and said, hey, Brian, 
this contract that you're looking mm-hmm. at, it depends on your ability to dunk a basketball. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I've never been able to do it. It's not a skill I ever possessed, and it's not one I ever will, given my physical characteristics. But the skill of listening starts with a choice. And when you make that choice, the more often you make that choice, it becomes habit. And that's yeah. where you all of a sudden you're finding yourself stopping more and more, paying attention to tone more and more, asking those questions, etc. Oh, that's good. Well, if I may, I'm thinking about what distracts me from listening. And it, it, it's it's often my body in terms of like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, mm-hmm. I need to pee, I've been <laughs> sitting for too long. <laughs> yeah. How do you recommend we address those in particular? Or is it just, is it all the same in terms of redirecting it right back to the person talking? Well, I think the consciousness of it, like when you start thinking like, oh, I want to go to the bathroom or I'm getting so hungry is to like shake your head and say, well, wait a minute, there's going to be time for me to get some food. Mm -hmm. I need to just bear down here a little bit more. Uh, Give yourself some grace too, because, you know, sheer willpower, willpower is like a muscle that gets tired too. And as we are mentally tired, as we are physically tired, as we are hungry, all of those things will impact our ability to give focus and attention. So if you have an opportunity to do something different, like say, hey, Pete, I'm loving this conversation, but can I take a short break? I just need to get a little carbohydrate in me. I just need to get like a piece of candy or uh, something. And that person is probably going to say, sure, that's that's fine. They may be mm-hmm. feeling the same way. And so that might be licensed for them to go do that thing too. And I think that when you're the person who's in- engaging somebody to help them be more effective listeners, I always make sure like when I'm doing training sessions, every hour, we have at least a 10 minute break. And I know yeah. that carves out time, but if people can use the restroom, can get a refreshment, can stretch their legs, can clear their mind, that next 50 minutes that I have them, they are so much more focused than if I try to just plow through two hours. That's absolutely true. I've seen it many times on both sides of the presentation table there. Okay. So that's stopping. So tone, you say that there's a lot in it and we should pay attention to it. Expand on that, please. Well, I think everybody knows two people can say the same thing. You know, two people could make an apology and one person can seem sincere and the other one it yeah. doesn't. And it's not I'm the worry. Exactly. <laughs> we hear it all the time when, when people are caught, right? And media figures are caught and all of a sudden they're issuing that standardized apology. Mm-hmm. But I always thought about the example that my wife called me one time and I was at work and I could hear the wind blowing. And my, I said, are you playing golf? And she said, yeah. And that three-letter word, yeah, just the way she said it. I said, you're not playing very well, are you? She goes, no. And then she started kind of unburdening herself. <laughs> but that's a that's a clear indication, right? Three letters, one simple word. And just by the tone, I could tell that she wasn't playing well. You've been married now for a little while. I'm sure that you can hear some words like, fine, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you say, how are you doing? Fine. (laughs) You realize they're not really doing fine. There's more behind that. I can tell. And that's usually based on on tone of voice. Certainly. Okay. And so are there any tone things that people tend to overlook or or are great sort of telltale indicators? Because I think sometimes, sometimes in my own tone or others, I I notice, how do I say it? It's like they're, they're energized and excited. And then they were back into sort of like the perfunctory, like, oh, duty, responsibility, process, compliance. I I don't know what words I would use for those tones, but sometimes you could see they're jazzed about this and not so jazzed about that. And so I I can pick up on that and I I find that pretty handy. Uh, What are some other key dimensions of tone to look out for? Well, 
where somebody emphasizes, right? I mean, you could have a sentence, I didn't steal that toy, right? <laughs> if you say that to a little kid or somebody, depending on where they put the emphasis, I didn't steal that toy. Yeah. I didn't, or I didn't steal that toy. I didn't uh, steal that toy. I stole another toy, right. right? So paying attention to where that emphasis is and that tone is coming out starts to become an indicator too, because if somebody says, I didn't steal that toy, then you might think, oh, the way you said that, you might have stolen some other toy or, or something yeah. like that. But a lot of times people aren't aware of it and there are leaks, so to speak. And, and we do this with our body too and, and how we verbalize things and how we move, but there are leaks that will really let you know more about what somebody understands. And some of this goes back to the work of Dr. Albert Morabian and his work on communication. It's like the words and the tone and the gestures and the proportion of... Yeah. And it's what they say is, I think it's 55% body language, 38% tone, yeah, and 7% words. And and speakers get up and and all the time they tout that and they say, and I was guilty of this at one point, they'll say, people are going to remember your tie more than what you said. That is not what his work was looking at. His work was looking at when the message and the messenger seem to be incongruent. People will focus a lot more on how somebody looks, yeah. their body language, and their tone of voice. Mm -hmm. Because going back to that apology, right? Two people can say the very same words. And if somebody says it in a way that doesn't seem sincere, you start focusing on the body language and the, and the tone. Yeah. That's what he was talking about in his research. Not a blanket. People mm -hmm. aren't really listening to your words. Yes. Thank you for setting the record straight there. And that sounds a lot more true, certainly, in terms of they said, I, I, I didn't steal anything. It's like, well, <laughs> your words say that you didn't, but there's some, you're very nervous for some reason. And, and mm -hmm. that's what I'm going to be keying in on. Okay. So tone. And then how about some asking clarifying questions? What are some of your favorite clarifying questions? Well, let me say this about questions. First is, uh, I'm never an advocate of interrupting somebody when they're speaking, but when you don't understand and you recognize in the moment, I don't really understand something, it shows that you're engaged in the conversation. So if you're telling me a lot of stuff and I say, hey, Pete, uh, can you hang on a second? When you said this, did you mean that? I'm, I'm not really sure. It gives you an opportunity to make sure that I do understand and clarify, but it also shows that I'm engaged in that conversation. Because if I just button up and, and mm -hmm. don't say a word, you might start even wondering, like, is he even paying attention? I mean, he hasn't said a word. He hasn't given me any gesture. I don't know if he's engaged in this yeah. conversation. And it's even more difficult over the phone because you can't see the person. So I think utilizing clarifying questions is a great way to stay engaged in the conversation so your mind doesn't wander. It lets the other person know that you are in that. And it just helps you clarify what it is that, that you're hearing. Mm -hmm. And well, to your, your question too, a simple one is when you said, what are some of the, the questions? It's help me understand, or yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure. Could you explain it? And it's, but it's a question. So mm -hmm. you have to say, well, I, I don't understand something. I'm not clear on what you said. I don't think I hear what you're saying. Can you explain? Can you expound? Can you do something to help me out here? Yes, that's that's grand. And I do like a 90 minute training on clarifying questions alone uh, for, for like collaborators in terms of what you really need to understand before you embark upon a piece of work and such that you don't end up giving them something that they don't want in terms of like the deliverable, the timing, the process, the resources, the audience and the motive. Well, 
I will say this. We, we talk about stars in the book in the section on qualifying. So in, a, in the sales process, when you've finally had this opportunity to meet with a client, you, you want to assess, do we want to do business together? Not yeah. all business is good business. Can I do business? Do I have the capacity to fulfill your needs? And do I want to? And you're making the same assessment of me as the salesperson. Do I want to do business with this guy? Can he meet my needs? Questions are what help us determine that. And that's why we talk about the STARS model in the qualifying part of the sales process. All right. So we've asked some clarifying questions and then restating. How should we do that? So whatever it is that you understand somebody to say, Pete, and I know your listeners can't see this, but but if I ask you, for example, about your business, you're proud of your business and you know all this, and I'm putting my arms out really wide, you have this vast wealth of knowledge. If I'm working, for example, with insurance agents, they don't need to know all of that, right? There are certain key things that they want to understand. And so they're going to hone in on those. And as they do, those are the things that they're going to probably come back and say, so Pete, your, your business sounds awesome. And if I understand you right, and then I kind of come through and I, and I lay out a few critical things about what it is that you need in your insurance protection. If I hear you right, Pete, and I clarify that, and you may come back and go, that's exactly it, Brian. Thank you. Or you might come back and go, no, you're missing it. It's the claim that I had. That's why I'm upset. And and so we can circle back and, and make sure that we're both on the same page. But no matter how well I do at listening, I will never know everything going on in your mind. And so I don't want to make that assumption that I do. So I therefore I'm going to try to restate to the best of my ability. Here's how it boils down for me. All right. Excellent. And then note taking. I mean, well, I used S for scribble because right. N would have been starred and that would have been that would have blown the whole model, right? So I always encourage people to take some notes, but this is not writing the great American novel. It's not trying to get down every word that people say. And while we can use certain tools like laptops to get a lot of information, that actually can hurt your listening because they yeah. say a lot of times students are trying to take down everything the professor is saying and they're missing context and, and other things. I encourage people to just bullet point things that they are going to need to circle back on. So I might, mm -hmm. you know, I, I might have heard you say you you had a car accident. I don't need to stop you right in the middle of your story to say, tell me the details because you might. But if you don't, I've got that little bullet point and I can say, hey, Pete, you mentioned you had a car accident. Can you tell me a little bit more? And I start asking, mm -hmm. when was it? What happened? And all those things. But it's because I have that bullet point to remind me. It also may be just a few quick bullet points. So there are things that I can fill out after our conversation's over. So maybe I, I catch the name of your pet, I catch the name of your wife or, or other things that I think will be important for me to remember down the road. And so I bullet point those and it triggers my mind. And then I start going back and, oh yeah, and I remember the type of dog that you said you had and how long or certain other things are triggered by that bullet point. So that's what I mean by scribble. Okay, excellent. So there we got the, the listing, the stars. Cool. And, and we've got another perspective. Uh, you call it the deal model. And, mm -hmm. and you're thinking specifically about four personality types. Mm -hmm. So, well, first, lay this on us in terms of what are the types, where do they come from, and how do we identify them? Okay. People are probably pretty familiar with DISC. 
the disk mm -hmm. model. And when I was working with the insurance company, and this was probably 10 years ago, a training organization came in and used something that was similar to that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was similar to, to that as a way to try to identify yourself. And it was a little more self-reflective than other. And uh, a guy I worked with came up and said, man, it'd be really cool if we could tie the principles of influence that you teach to the different personality styles, are there some that more effective than others? So I did a survey with my blog readers and I took some very generic descriptions and, and said, you know, read these and choose what you think you are. And then that kind of funneled them in. And then mm -hmm. I was asking them all the same questions, but I could look at the results then and say, wow, people in one category seem to be different than people in these other categories. So through the course of that, I came up with driver, expressive, amiable, and logical. And I like that because it spells deal and we deal with people and the people I work with, salespeople want to close deals. So it mm -hmm. becomes very easy for them to remember. Okay. And it's focused on not self. It's not that it's unimportant. It's very important to understand ourselves, but it's other focused. I want to try to determine, Pete, are you a, a driver, that person who's more focused on getting things done than relationships and you like to be in control? Or are you the expressive, the person who's really relationship driven, but also really likes being in control? And then that amiable, which is the relationship oriented person who is more about self-focus and self-control. And then the logical person is a task driven individual, but they're not focused on controlling others or situations. They're more focused on themselves, their own thinking, their own self-control. So that's a very basic model. But it's good because salespeople don't always, I mean, I'm not going to go up and say, you know, what's your Myers-Briggs, Pete? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to figure that out. But this is a pretty simple model to assess people. And once you feel like you've got a handle on the type of personality, then we talk about the principles that are most effective in terms of being able to ethically influence them. Okay. So, so it sounds like it's, if I were to stick a bit of two by two, the dimensions we're looking at are, are their level of task focus and their desire to control others mm -hmm. and situations. Yep. Okay. And so with the driver being high, high, the expressive being, I don't know, low, high, they care about the relationship. Well, I just say that, yeah, there's a demarcation and the bottom of it is person who's very relationship driven. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And I would, I would say good examples of, of that, that I use in the book, Steve Jobs would have been a driver right? That guy mm -hmm. doesn't care about being your friend. It is just about the work and get the stuff done. Oprah Winfrey, I think, is a great example of an expressive. She wants mm -hmm. to know your story. She wants to get to know you and help you. But yet she is completely in control of her media kingdom, just like Steve Jobs was in control. So, so in that respect, they're very alike, but they're very different in terms of their interactions with people on an individual level. Yeah. Okay. And, and so how about an example for amiable and logical then? Amiable is always a, a little bit tougher in terms of coming up with examples because they're not necessarily limelight people. And a lot of the occupations that they tend to move into aren't ones that are necessarily in the limelight because they're very relationship focused and a little bit more self-control, self-focused than other uh, in terms of control. They tend to be things more like counselors and teachers and nurses and social workers. And those aren't always positions that are in the limelight. Now, that's not to say that because you're an amiable, you can't lead a company. You absolutely can. But what we tend to see is people move more into those positions that are not as much in the limelight. 
Mother Teresa would be an awesome example. All right. And logical. A logical person, again, very, very task focused, but not about controlling others or situations more on a self-focus. And a great example here would be a, a Bill Gates or an Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that that you'd agree and your listeners would agree. If you had five minutes to try to sell an idea to each of these people, I hope you would go about doing it very differently with Steve Jobs versus Oprah Winfrey versus Mother Teresa or an Albert Einstein, mm-hmm. because they're they're going to respond to different things and for different reasons. Yeah. In terms of like, like Bill Gates doesn't care much about your story, mm-hmm. most likely. If you're talking about he's, he's trying to save the world in some dimension, I don't know, cl- climate change or, or, or vaccines or, or, or something, and then you say... You know, Bill, let me tell you how I got interested in malaria. I have a feeling Bill doesn't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and maybe he does. I don't know. Yeah. But I would imagine he'd be more intrigued by, here's the innovative, mm-hmm. cool thing that we've got going on here and mm-hmm. why it's different than what it, what's ever been used before and why it's way more cost effective at uh, at saving lives yeah. than yeah. the the previously existing technology available. Uh, versus Oprah would probably not be as into that if you want to hear the story about how they got yeah. to malaria. Well, here's a really good example, I think, for the logical versus the driver. According to the research, the survey that I did with blog readers, both of those personalities responded to the principle of consistency. And that mm-hmm. principle says that we feel an internal psychological pressure and an external social pressure to be consistent in what we say and what we do. I would think that somebody like Albert Einstein or Bill Gates when they say something, they believe they're right because they trust their intellect. They've thought it through. They've been methodical and they've come up with a decision. And that's why they believe what they believe. And if you can tie your request into that, then it makes very logical sense for them to say, absolutely. Yeah. You go to the driver who is also driven by that principle of consistency, but it's a lot more ego-based. When Donald Trump was on The Apprentice, when he said something, he believed it, even as president. When he said something, Katie barred the door on the facts just because he uttered it, he believed it. And I think to a great degree, a lot of people who are in that driver situation, they trust their gut. And so when they say something, they believe they're right. But it's not for the same reason as the logical. But nonetheless, if I can tap into what they've said, what they've done or what they believe, it becomes easier for them to say yes. So same principle, but very different reason on why it's so compelling for each of those personalities. Well, that's interesting. I'm reminded of, I heard there's like a, a legendary story, and I believe it's true, at least the person doing the interview wasn't lying, about you know Bill Gates, Microsoft, the Xbox, like they're having a meeting about this thing. And at first, Bill says, what you're proposing is an insult to everything I've done, <laughs> you know, in my career in terms of like how it was going to work and how it didn't utilize, you know, like the, the DOS windows, whatever stuff that he'd built up. And so so the meeting wasn't going well for a long time until someone said, well, what about Sony? And it's like, yeah, what about Sony? And then it sort of totally changed his thinking associated with dominance and market share and influence and being in the living room and, and how Microsoft and Sony were both kind of growing on these dimensions and Sony's got this PlayStation and they're like, yes, we'll give you everything you've asked for, <laughs> you know, go <laughs> forth and do, and do the Xbox. And so, so that's interesting in terms of like the set of facts mm-hmm. that, that he's focused on, logical, mm-hmm. sure enough was the persuasive thing that got it done when those were were brought front and center for him. 
And I would say, too, that the contrast phenomenon, right? He's being compared to Sony, uh, somebody that he looks at as a peer, a competitor, somebody he doesn't want to be beaten by. If they had made the wrong comparison, maybe mm-hmm. there was a little upstart company that was doing something. He might have yeah. looked at it and said, who cares what they're doing? Yeah, or like Nintendo. It was like, oh, yeah, okay, Nintendo's got Mario. Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> but Sony, oh, that's a yep. different story. Yep. Cool. Well, so then, well, well, maybe if you could give us an example of some things that you might hear out of someone's mouth that would make you go, hmm, driver. Oh, yeah. Expressive. Just a couple telltale words, phrases, sentences that that kind of cue you into thinking, it sounds like this is where you're, you're landing here. Well, I think a lot of times, and, and I don't like always making generalities, or, uh, generalizations, because there's always exceptions. And, and I absolutely recognize this. But I think a telltale a lot of times for drivers is they don't stop talking. Okay. You really have a hard time getting a word in edgewise because they want to be in control of the situation. They have an opinion on on everything and and therefore they're they're continually going. And so that can be a, a clue right there that I, I'm dealing with somebody who's not giving me any space to step in and and share what I need to share. If you're going to try to influence somebody like that, you have to be okay with that. You have to recognize, you have to pick and choose the battles and and then step in where you get that opportunity or ask a question that might make them go, hmm, what do you mean? Tell me more. Now you've kind of got the platform back. But I think that's the big telltale for a lot of drivers is it becomes kind of hard to get a word in edgewise. Okay. And expressives? I think expressives, a lot of times people in this are entertainers and politicians, people who know the importance of, of having relationship. They're probably a lot more of the storyteller, somebody who's got a, you know, I met somebody and here's a story and here's another story. So they may do a lot of talking too. They're expressive, they're, they're outward, but they also allow you that space to ask about you and you feel a little more connected to them. And some of it may just be because of the stories, but you're like, hey, that's funny. I like that person. You don't feel like you're necessarily being talked to or talked at as much as maybe you will from that driver who's going to kind of tell you what it's got to be like. Okay. And amiable? Amiables, a a lot of times are going to be the ones where you have to pull a little bit out of them. I've always pictured an amiable, you know, if you're going to go to the movies and you got six people and you say, hey, what do you guys want to see? Amiable is probably like, no, anything's cool with me Mm -hmm. because they're very laid back, very relational. They're just happy that they're hanging out with everybody and they're cool doing whatever. The driver would be the person who might say, well, if you guys are going to go see that, I'm going to head home. I don't want to see that movie. And they'd be okay (laughs) heading off by themselves. So I think with the amiable, you're going to see people who are very relational, very laid back, not looking to be the life of the party. You may have to do a little bit more to draw them out, probably going to get into much deeper conversations with somebody like that. Okay. And logical? Logical person is going to be somebody, obviously, who's very analytical in their thinking. They're going to be very fact-oriented. They're going to be the people who don't just share an opinion. They will do some research so that they feel they can speak intelligently on something. They want to, before they open their mouth, they want to really understand what they believe and why they believe it so that they can feel comfortable in terms of, of sharing it. And that one, I would say from experience, people will say, that I'm an expressive just because of what I do, but I am absolutely a a logical person. I'm a deep thinker about things. And I always tell my daughter when she asks me a question, I'm like, I don't have an opinion on that because I haven't really looked into it. I'm not going to just say something. (laughs) I feel the same way, particularly in business situations. I I remember talking about insurance. I was buying some insurance once and it had some absurd clause 
Because, uh, wait, this kind of makes it sound like you don't pay any claims ever. <laughs> so what's the deal here? <laughs> no, no one's ever asked that question before. Mm. Well, so like, can you share with me some evidence that you sometimes pay out claims? Because this kind of reads, you never mm. have to. <laughs> and so when I'm in sort of a business conversation, that's kind of what I want is I want profoundly compelling evidence mm -hmm. that proves that you got the stuff. You're going to deliver what I'm seeking to be delivered. Mm -hmm. And so I think that often makes people very uncomfortable <laughs> because, well, because usually they don't have the evidence that I want. And so then I need to try to be compassionate. It's like, well, okay, well, if you don't have that set of facts, could you give me some alternative sets of facts that maybe I can plug into my spreadsheet and deal with how I need to deal with to prove it out? But still, it's logical. Like, got to have it. Well, this can be a shortcoming when you're the one trying to persuade let's say you're really good at building relationships. That's an awesome skill to have. Yeah. But if you get into that situation with the logical like you, if you make a friend, okay, that's cool. But if you don't, that's cool too. You're just, you want to buy the insurance. So if a person only is able to lean on what their strength is, that strength then ends up being a negative, a weakness with certain people. And this is why I try to emphasize in looking at this model, it's not about you it's not about what you're what you're good at. It's not about your strengths. It's about the other person. Learn what the psychology is and then understand what the psychology is that applies to them and get good at that. So mm -hmm. in a sense, be a little bit of a chameleon in terms of how you interact with people, not being a false person, but just recognizing that just because you like having these great relationships, you're going to have some clients and they can be great clients, but they're just not into the relationship part. That's okay. Yeah. Well, well, maybe since insurance is, is your specialty, maybe I'll just put you on the spot. Let's say you're trying to sell auto insurance to these four different types of people. Can I hear a sentence or two of, uh, of custom verbiage that, that might be very appropriate when you're making that pitch to a driver versus an expressive versus an amiable versus a logical? Okay. Well, if you're talking to a driver, then scarcity is something that comes into play a lot. The mistake that people would make is talking about all the things that somebody might gain or save. Mm -hmm. But what you really want to talk about is what they might lose. Okay. So going in and having that conversation and framing something instead of gain, like they don't care so much about savings, it's what they may be losing and framing it that mm -hmm. way. You're overpaying instead of I can save you a bunch of money. That would be a particular approach. When you move down and you're talking to somebody who's an expressive, understanding that they're going to be more relationship oriented, you're going to want to tap a little bit more into liking. You're going to want to make that connection. They're going to want to look at you and say, that's a person that I really like and I want to do business with, with people that I like. Another effective principle in terms of interacting with folks like that is consensus. What are other people who are like them doing? And by bringing that in, that becomes a strong decision factor. Whereas mm. again, the driver, they don't care what everybody else is doing. Yeah. They think them, of themselves as completely different and unique. So that's a little bit about how you'd be different with this person who's the expressive. When you move over to the amiable, also very, very big on relationship. So you're going to want to certainly make sure that you tap into liking because they're probably not going to want to do business with somebody that they don't like. So connecting on what you have in common, talking about those things, being complimentary where genuine compliments are due. But they also surprisingly 
responded really well to the principle of authority. And so by really showing mm. that you know what you're talking about, that's not challenging to them, that's comforting to them. And so by deferring to something like, I might say, you know, Pete, I've been in this business now for more than 30 years and something that I found is really important. That little tidbit about I've been in business for 30 years isn't coming across like a braggart to them. It's giving them a sense of comfort that, wow, okay, I like this guy and he knows what he's talking about. And so that becomes a little bit more of the tact that I take with that person. Okay. And then the logical. So the logical, obviously, they're going to be fact-driven. So you're going to need to be able to show authority, not only that you have some personal authority that you're good at what you're doing, but bring in data, bring in information from respected individuals or organizations that would support your claim. If you don't do that, then you come across to the logical person as just somebody who thinks they know everything. Much better to bring in that support of the information. You know, where did you hear that quote? What did this particular report say? That's what's going to give somebody who's a logical individual a sense of comfort. All right, cool. Well, well, Brian, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things. As I said at the beginning, I wrote this book for a specific market. I wrote it for insurance agents. And that was because trying to write a sales book can get super generic when you keep talking Mm -hmm. about products or services and people start reading it. That doesn't apply to me. Well, that does. So I just on the counsel of somebody I really respect, I thought, you know what, I'm going to tighten this up and I'm going to make it specific to insurance. It's what I know. But then I realized as I got into it that every step in the sales cycle, if somebody's in sales, they're going to benefit from understanding the psychology that applies and that even people who aren't selling are going to benefit from learning how to be a listening star, how to deal with different personalities so that they can sell themselves and their ideas. So I would just encourage anybody, if you see yourself in any capacity as selling, check the book out. All right. Thank you. And now a favorite quote. Well, I think that the one I find myself referring to more than ever now is something that my high school football coach said, and I attributed it to him for a long time until somebody said, no, that was the Roman philosopher Seneca. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But it is luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Ever since I was a a sophomore in high school and heard coach say that and recognized that if I worked really hard, good things would happen. And even when the good thing that I want doesn't come about, it's amazing, Pete, how all that preparation comes in in a different way. And all of a sudden I'm like, hey, that preparation is helping me now over here. So it never goes untapped. Mm -hmm. And a favorite book? One of my favorites was Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And just reading about what he and all those other people in those uh, concentration camps endured was unimaginable. But the takeaway for me was towards the end of the book when he said uh, something to the effect that every freedom can be taken away from a man except for the last freedom where to place your thoughts and what you're going to think about. Mm -hmm. Nobody, and he said, basically, it didn't matter how much the guards beat them, threatened them, or did anything. They could never, ever make them think what they didn't want to. And that's, that is incredibly powerful. And a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job. It's called Voice Dream. Mm -hmm. And it's an app that I downloaded on the advice of a friend on my iPhone. And when I write something, I have it up usually in Google Docs and I just pull it into that app and then I can listen to it. And it's amazing what you catch. You write it and you think it's good and then you hear it and you're like, eh, it's not exactly how I wanted it to come across. So it's, it has helped my writing immensely and I'm working on two more books. So I use it all the time. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? 
First would be LinkedIn. I connect with everybody and, and I guarantee your listeners, if you reach out to connect and you don't put a reason, I will come back and say, how did you find me? I like to understand why people are reaching out. And if you do put in a reason, I will still respond because uh, as my most recent blog post said, social media is supposed to be social. And the way that mm-hmm. we do that is by having conversations with people. And so I will absolutely respond to you on LinkedIn. The other place, Pete, would be my website, which is Influence People. Dot biz. Just a tremendous amount of resources out there if they want to learn more about this topic. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I think it would be to start dedicating time to understand the influence process. Influence in some respects is like listening. Very few people learn how to do it well, and yet we use it every single day. I, I say from womb to tomb, as soon as a baby is born, he or she cries, they've got a need, they're trying to get it met. Some of us learn how to do it well, and it's it helps immensely with our professional success and personal happiness. So I hope people who are listening will say, you know what, maybe I need to dig into this a little bit more. I could use the ability to have more people saying, yes, that would be helpful in my life. Well, Brian, this has been a treat. Thank you. And, and I wish you lots of luck in, in all your influencing. Thank you. Appreciate it, Pete. I love it when a guest shares a hard fact, a piece of research that I was completely unaware of previously. And boy, that 75% difference in what you can pick up when you fully stop and pay attention and you're listening is huge. And I think we probably know, oh yeah, it's better to listen. I might pick up you know, a little more and they might feel more appreciated, respected, validated, and it's the polite thing to do, but I'm really busy. I think when you have a hard fact like that, for me, I find it super persuasive because it's like, oh, wait a second. It's not a little bit better. And it's not just about being polite or nice. 75% more facts you pick up. And those facts are huge in terms of, you never know which one is going to be the big opportunity, which one is going to be the the source of connection, which one is going to spark the cool new creative idea, which one is going to differentiate you because you picked up on that and you ran with it when others were multitasking. So I like that, how it underscores, yeah, yeah, we probably know we should stop and listen, uh, but the stakes are really big, as Brian highlighted with hard data and research. So again, those show notes, transcripts, link to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP649. I hope to catch you next time in peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.